With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I really think last week was a turning point for us, believe it or not. I saw a team come together. I saw a team practice the best it's practiced all year. I saw a team start loving each other, holding each other accountable, and they came out here and fought. We weren't good enough to win the game, but I, re- I really feel like it, that was a, a turning point for us. We've had a lot of close, tough games with them over the past five years that I've been here, and, and I know this was, was one that I really wanted, and, and a lot of the other seniors wanted really bad, but there is there is good from good that we can take from it, and, and you know, we'll, we'll take it to Northwestern and get ready this week. We've been through so much as a team already, uh, ups and downs, you know, little things not going our way. We're battling through adversity. We're getting closer as a unit, um, knowing that we're going through this struggle together and knowing that we're going we're gonna to be back. We're going to get this thing turned around. We just can't lose the faith. I feel like this week we just really kind of adopted that idea wholeheartedly, and we knew the guys that were there are there with us, and they're our guys, and they're in it for the long haul. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washed, and Nate Klaus as we are talking Nebraska and Northwestern here. But going to start out of the gates here a little bit with some recap of Wisconsin as just kind of another one of those games where you, you saw the moments of what maybe this could be and can be someday, um, especially kind of seeing the way Nebraska spread it apart, uh, Wisconsin, and, and really moved the ball at will on their defense other than just getting in their own way. The penalties and uh, one key turnover that happened in that game really put Nebraska behind the change, but they went for over 500 yards offensively. Adrian Martinez went for over 400 yards of total offense. Stanley uh, Morgan and J.D. Spielman had huge games. In fact, J.D. Spielman broke a school record, but at the end of the day, Nebraska still is 0-5. They've only beaten Wisconsin now one time. They've given up, I think, 340 rushing yards in that game uh, defensively. And, you know, that, that's where the problems still remain on this team, guys. I think Nebraska up front, and we knew this going into the year, and it wasn't something – it shouldn't be a surprise. that We knew Nebraska's offensive line was thin. They didn't have a lot of guys. And we knew their defensive front struggled to stop the run a year ago, and they had the exact same guys returning this year, and they're still struggling to stop the run and, and really haven't been a team that can match up physically with the elite-level Big Ten offensive lines. Well, and for as many positives as we saw in that game, especially offensively in the second half, Adrian Martinez, Maurice Washington, J.D. Spielman, uh, the same issues that have plagued this team all year long uh, ended up surmounting all of those. You know, you mentioned the penalties. We let Wisconsin win the turnover battle. Let Wisconsin dominate the time of possession. Um, and then, you know, the, the just the, the depth issues that Nebraska is facing right now, they just wore down uh, by the end of it. And so, yes, there were a lot of positives, again, probably more so than we've seen in a long time from this team to take away from that game. But the consistent issues that, you know, Nebraska can't seem to get over with, uh, with shooting its, itself in the foot time and time again, proved to be too much and you mentioned just the the trenches you know Eric Chenander made some pretty interesting comments about how they're just not there right now with strength and conditioning and that Wisconsin game showed that and with Nebraska allowing Wisconsin to operate its game plan to perfection 
Um, I mean, it was only a matter of time before uh, just that that physicality ended up taking its toll. And so um, Nebraska doesn't have any breaks from here on out. There's no bye week. There's no time to rest and regroup and recharge. Uh, so they got to find a way to respond much better to that physicality of the Big Ten, especially as it gets later and later into the year. Well, and the other thing is they've yet to – have a game or a moment I, th- I feel like where they've been hitting on all cylinders you know the 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 defense I thought played fairly well to to start the game and uh but the offense was struggling and then the offense seemed to to get it together in the second half but that's when the defense wore down uh they were given a poor field position um to a team like Wisconsin that you, you just can't do that so between that and the, the penalties and everything that's I guess that's probably the the frustrating part uh, even though there were positives to, to take away you're, you're still seeing the the same things uh, some lack of discipline or whatever you want to call it uh, kind of rear its ugly head uh, once again and uh, when you go to a place like Wisconsin you just you just can't do that and expect to to have a game uh, that's that's competitive and or steal a game on the road like that am I wrong or right though guys that this Wisconsin team, was about, especially on the defensive side of the ball, about as average looking as we've seen. Mm-hmm. They came into the game on Saturday with just three quarterback sacks on the year. I mean, think about that. That's pretty shocking. What, remember, they go had back, two against Nebraska. And go 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 back to the, the bowl game a couple of years ago in USC. I, I believe it was uh, Sitchi. One of their guys had three sacks in a row on three consecutive plays. Yeah, it was one of those guys, Beagle or one of those guys. Yeah. I can't remember. Who. And yeah, they, I mean they've had, but they don't have that guy anymore. And no, you know, th- I think Scott Frost saw like you know what we can get this Wisconsin defense spread apart and pick them apart and and put them in in on islands and yeah. that's what they did. Well, when Nebraska wasn't turning the ball over and committing penalties, they were moving the ball really well, uh, especially through the air. And um, Nebraska. You know, made a decision to not run the football. Uh, I mean, I think they had like two or three running back ten, carries ten, in the entire first half. Ten total running back carries. Ten in total the game. running back carries, and so I mean, they they had a very specific plan for how to attack Wisconsin because we hadn't seen that against any opponent all year. That much of a lopsided play calling strategy, uh, and it eventually worked. I mean, that second half they were lighting up Wisconsin secondary, which it was is a numbers really, game. I mean, which they... is really bad. I mean, their secondary is not good, and so I agree. I mean. With, in my opinion, that Wisconsin team is not 17 points better than Nebraska when Nebraska is playing at its full capacity. But Nate, like you mentioned, they haven't been at their full capacity all year. Uh, it's been one or the other uh, all season long, and the special teams have been bad all year. And so it's just, you know, while one side of the ball might have their moments, the other two aspects just bring them down. Yeah, I think that when you talk about the bright spots so you have to start with adrian martinez uh you you saw some special things from maurice washington um you saw a change at the with punter there with uh with isaac armstrong coming in uh, i think he may have given him a little bit of a spark in in an area that's just been downright disastrous i mean that was kind of almost long. embarrassing that he comes in his first career punt and it was like Marketably better than any punt that Lightborn had all yeah. season. Basically doubled his net punting average. Lightborn was 29 yards a punt, and Armstrong's over 50. When about 53, I think, in the game on Saturday. Well, and he had no idea that he was probably even going to play in that game. So to come off the bench cold. Yeah, Caleb Lightborn was second on the team with 25 consecutive starts, and so I mean he was about as established of a player on the team as there was, and so for them to make that move. In the middle of a game like that, on the road, and throw in a junior walk-on <laughs> who had never punted in a game before, that says a lot. And I guess tip of the hat to Frost and his staff for being willing to make those kinds of moves to, for one, send a message to guys who aren't performing well, but two, you know, give 
players a chance, you know, that while they haven't had the opportunity to show themselves, you know, maybe that's just because of a lack of opportunity and, you know, credit Isaac Armstrong uh, who shined and is now your number one punter for the foreseeable future. Real quick guys. Um, I think that now Nebraska moving forward to Northwestern, um, this is a real opportunity. I mean, this is a game they can win. I mean, the line is opened at eight or nine. It's down to about a field goal. Mm-hmm. But you've got Northwestern, you've got Minnesota, you got Bethune Cookman three weeks in a row. If there's any chance at all to maybe salvage something of this season, these are the three weeks it's going to have to happen. Yeah, has to happen. Uh, and going into that Purdue game, I thought if they could have won that game, that changed how you looked at, you know, basically outside the Wisconsin game. Uh, the next stretch here. The path uh, to the, six. Yeah, the path to six. And so um, I already thought that this Northwestern game was a winnable game, especially when they lost Jeremy Larkin. I mean, that has completely changed the entire dynamic of their offense. They have no running game now. Jeremy Larkin was one of the better running backs in the Big Ten, and now he's medically retired from football, and they've had to rely entirely on Clayton Thorson and that passing game. And that's made him completely one-dimensional to where Nebraska has an opportunity to you know, – dictate the way this game goes much like Wisconsin did to them a week ago yeah I keep feeling like there's going to be a turning point at some game during this season and and this weekend I think has it's a great opportunity for for them to finally uh, hit that corner and the home team has only won one time in this Nebraska Northwestern series since the Huskers joined the Big Ten that happened to be when Jordan Westerkamp caught the Hail Mary pass from Tommy Armstrong so lots to look forward to Robin and I will be in Evanston this weekend and have full coverage and we'll get you ready for the game. We're going to talk offensive storylines, including Maurice Washington's emergence next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, I think he's pretty explosive. I think it'd be hard to say, uh, it'd be hard to watch the film and, and say that every time he touches the football, he doesn't look different than some of the other people on the field. And so that it's, it's again, it's one of those balancing acts as his role increases as he you know matures through his development. And I don't think he's anywhere near his potential yet. But as he's developing throughout the course of the season, I think his role on offense increases and his role on special teams increases. And you have to have, again, it comes back to the balancing act of how much you give him in what situation. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was special teams coordinator Jovan DeWitt talking about Maurice Washington and what he brought to the Huskers as a kick returner as we saw Nebraska's best kick return of the year come from Washington. I believe it was called back on a penalty, if I'm not mistaken. Was it, Robin? Probably. I don't remember. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was like a 70-yard kick return. And then, oh, there's a – wasn't it uh, Caleb Miller or, or Caleb uh, – Tanner. 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 Had a uh, block in the back. It wasn't even a necessary block in the back. Well, and it sounded like, I mean, I I think it was kind of a ticky tack call, anyhow. So he pushed the guy, and the guy had no chance to even make the play. But nonetheless, this segment of the Husker Online (laughs) Show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. Get on into Tanner's to watch all the baseball action this weekend. Uh, You got NLCS, ALCS, go Dodgers, by the way. Um, I got to get that plug in, but uh, all the college football action, a road weekend. So, Tanner's, um, any one of the five Omaha and one Lincoln locations, that is your destination to sit down all day Saturday and watch all the college football action, all the Sunday NFL action at our Tanner's locations. But let's get back to Maurice Washington. And, you know, we knew he was talented. We knew he was good. Um, But, you know, a little bit of a roadblock or speed bump the last few weeks. He didn't play well at Michigan. Um, And then, obviously, he missed the Purdue game because he was sick that week. So I don't think any of us really knew what to expect from him in that game against Northwestern, but I'm sorry, against Wisconsin. But he comes in, and it's like, wow. I mean, it's like he had just another gear to his game 
Um, and they used him as a receiver. They ran him out wide on wheel routes, um, as a running back, as a kick returner. Um, I mean, this guy has a chance to be a future star in this program. Yeah, and watching that game, uh, it was clear to me that Maurice Washington was the most dynamic player on the field, you know, regardless of Wisconsin or Nebraska's roster. When he touched the ball, he had a gear that no other player in that game had. And Sean, you and I were talking off air that, you know, those Wisconsin coaches were probably up in the box looking at each other like, who the heck is this guy? Uh, because, I mean, that, that he was a difference maker. And there's a reason uh, he ended up with 115 total yards. I mean, he is a versatile, do-it-all type player who Troy Walters uh, said today, on Wednesday that, uh, you know, he has the skill set of a wide receiver. So he's a p- running back by trade, but they, they have no qualms about putting him out wide in the slot, running him on passes out of the backfield, uh, and utilizing his full ability. And that is going to get you on the field a lot in this offense. That is exactly what the staff wants out of their skill position players. They don't want just a wide receiver or just a running back. They want you to be able to do it all so they can find mismatches and put you in positions where you're going to be able to exploit those mismatches. And that's what I think they're going to do with Washington going forward. Um, You're going to see him probably a lot more at wide receiver uh, to try and get him out in space against a linebacker or maybe against a slower safety and utilize that athleticism and speed to its full potential. And, you know, I think that Wisconsin game was just a taste of what he could bring as long as he stays healthy and is able to continue his upward track. Well, he, he showed why he was being recruited as heavily as a junior before his academics really came into play and some some teams backed off of him. But he was being recruited as a wide receiver, a running back, and some teams even thought that he'd be one heck of a cornerback at, at, in college. So, um, But, yeah, you're right. He was a difference maker. And it's just a little things like – he, he caught a, a swing pass on one play and, and put a spin move on a guy. And it was just like, whoa, because you really have not seen a player, certainly this year, that's really done anything like that. And um, yeah, he's just a, just an electric player. And uh, like Javon DeWitt said in the open, he's going to continue to get better. I mean, he's nowhere near reached his, his – I mean, he's still developing. He's nowhere reached his potential. So uh, that is definitely something uh, that I think is going to be pretty exciting for fans to keep track of going forward. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, as we get you ready for Saturday's 11 a.m. game in Evanston against Northwestern. It will be Nebraska's first time playing at 11 a.m. out there, so it'll be interesting to see kind of the crowd break up. It's traditionally been a lot of red, and I, I anticipate we'll still see a lot of red out there. A lot of people plan these trips out. We saw more people. Right? We've been on the road three out of four weeks now when you count Saturday, and the amount of people that have traveled to some of these road trips, um, Wisconsin, it was as many as we've seen out there, obviously, mm-hmm. since that game. One of the Big Ten in Michigan was um, the most by far we've seen at Michigan, and I anticipate we're going to see a huge, huge uh, turnout again in Evanston. Well, I know Michigan people were kind of stunned that there were that many Nebraska people. So for those that didn't get to see the whole stadium, uh, the, the visiting section is kind of on, I don't know, one of the end, end zone ends of the bowl, and that entire top part of that uh, bowl portion was covered in red and you know, it was sprinkled throughout the whole stadium. Uh, and so I think that caught some of those guys off guard and, you know, it's harder to tell at Wisconsin because everybody's wearing red and those, the team gears look very, it used uh, to be like similar. identical. Yeah. Team so, gear. uh, you know, it was hard to really tell how many were there, but it was loud. You know, when Nebraska did something well, there was a pretty good contingency cheering and, um, you know, out, you know, in downtown Madison the night before, you know, there were a lot of Nebraska fans that were invading bars 
just like they always have. And so with Northwestern being one of the easiest um, tickets, more appealing trips, yeah, and cheapest trips that you can get, I expect there's going to be, I mean, this is kind of the pilgrimage trip for Nebraska fans. You know, you get to go to Chicago, spend the weekend there, pop over to Evanston, see a football game for cheap, and, you know, make a weekend of it. So I I don't think, despite 0-5, I don't think you're going to see. And Nebraska's never off. lost in Evanston. They have never lost there. And, you know, there's a lot of thinking that this could be the game, you know, like Nate was talking about earlier, that this could be the game that finally clicks for Nebraska. So I think there's still going to be a very strong Husker flavor at Ryan Field. Well, I feel like every every year Nebraska plays there, it almost seems somewhat like a home game. I mean, there's so many fans there. Uh, and I forget what year it was, but didn't didn't Northwestern actually have to call a time? Two thousand twelve. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, they, were, they well, they had a switch they, to yeah, a they silent went to count. Silent count in their own stadium. Yeah, that's. I mean, that. Kane Coulter. That to me, that's um, that's a huge advantage for Nebraska. Really, the only thing that that you might have a question mark about is is the, this will be the first time Nebraska has played on grass. Uh, so I, I mean, I don't know if, how how much of a factor that will be, but it'll be something to pay attention to at least. And I want to ask you guys about this as we um, kind of wrap up off of discussion big position change move this week with Cameron Jurgens. they took him from tight end to offensive line and Nate I want to go to you with this first because our analysts at Rivals particularly our friend Josh Himmel he really had a hard time ranking Cameron Jurgens as a high-ranked tight end because he just didn't see him as a tight end and and I think we got to give a hat tip to Josh here because um, I think Nebraska saw the same thing they saw a great elite level athlete but not maybe an elite level tight end and I think Scott Frost is like, you know what? This guy needs to be on the O-line. He's going to be the perfect center, maybe a guard in the future at Nebraska. Well, that's why Josh kept him as, as an athlete um, and didn't want, to, didn't want to categorize him as a tight end, didn't want to necessarily say that he was a linebacker or a defensive end. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it really doesn't come as a huge surprise to me that this move has happened because uh, of, of, his, his, of his frame, his, his overall athleticism. He's been a guy that I feel like ever since we initially kind of, you know, saw him as a freshman, every time you see him, he, I feel like he gets bigger and bigger and keeps um, – He's know, not getting taller, but he's getting just kind of yeah, wider. Yeah, I mean, he's got a huge frame. He continues to fill out. So uh, when, you, when you thought about him as a tight end, you go, okay, well, he might be a guy that has to keep weight off of him and, and struggle to, to stay at a, at a reasonable uh, weight there. So now that he's moved to, to offensive line, uh, you know, I think that he's got a great shot to flourish there. He doesn't have a long way to go either. He's already listed 270 pounds. Yeah. That's unbelievable. I did a double take when I saw that on the roster. And uh, clearly, Scott Frost is incredibly high on this. I mean, he was the one that spearheaded this move. He went to Greg Austin, Sean Becton, and said, I really like Cameron's potential. He's the second coming of Dave Remington. Yes. Apparently, he told Greg Austin that he thinks Cam Turgens is the second coming of Dave Remington, who Dave Remington responded and said, work hard, son, and have fun. By the way, Dave Remington, the only two-time Outland Trophy winner in the history of college football. No no pressure there, No pressure there. He only has a trophy named after he's got a trophy and he's a two-time outlet but all right guys we come back we're going to shift over to the defense as we'll talk defensive storylines next you're listening to the husker online show this is husker online your authority on nebraska athletics i don't have concerns for our team going forward i have concerns that we have a long ways to go football wise we have a long ways to go strength and conditioning wise if we're going to catch up and, and be able to beat teams like wisconsin and michigan and I'm sure, you know, I haven't seen the film on anybody that we play, uh, you know, looking in the future, but teams like that, they're going to be physical and run the ball. We, we've got a long ways to go in, in all those aspects. And welcome back here to the Husker Line Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. That was defensive coordinator Eric Shenander. 
And there, there were some, um, I don't want to say, I mean, a lot of comments on those statements by Eric Shenander just about how far Nebraska has to go, strength and conditioning, just to be able to match up with some of these elite-level fronts in the Big Ten. And he doesn't beat around the bush. I mean, Nebraska physically could not match up with Wisconsin. They physically could not match up uh, with um, Michigan. I mean, and, and you could argue at times they struggled to match up against Purdue. Um, right now, Nebraska's defensive front seven – has a hard time matching up with any of the upper half teams in the Big Ten right now when you break down kind of a whole full, full, a full football game. Well, that's the key. I mean, Nebraska held its own just fine, I thought, for the first quarter and a half against Wisconsin. Uh, gave up a late touchdown, but still, I thought, did a pretty good job um, for that entire first half. Problem is, depth became an issue, and they started to wear down, and Wisconsin completely took the game over in the fourth quarter. And so injuries have played part of that, you know, not having Mick Stoltenberg and, you know, losing Will Honus for the season and, uh, you know, just not having really much proven linebacker depth behind those starters. Uh, that, that became just a, a physical issue to where Nebraska just wore down. And so that's what he's talking about. Not only do they need to get bigger and stronger across the board, they need more guys that are big, strong, and talented enough to rotate in and be able to withstand the number one challenge that the Wisconsin's and Michigan's of the world present. And that's when they just punch you in the face for four full quarters, and you have to be able to withstand it and hold up. I mean, we knew that there was going to be you know, a lot of gains made under Zach Duvall, but um, this is not something that you can just correct overnight in, in one offseason or one winter and in, in one summer. This is this is going to be a, a process. And, and you mentioned the depth. I mean, that is, that's key here because this is a team in Nebraska that has to rotate a lot of guys, has to keep guys fresh because of the amount of snaps that, that they're going to be out on the football field. And, uh, and overall, especially in the trenches on both sides of the football, really, but, uh, you know, and that defensive line uh, they need to continue building that depth through recruiting and continue to to get these guys uh, physically to the point where they can compete with the the upper uh, level teams in this conference uh, with Zach Duvall in that weight room you're listening here to the Husker online show Sean Callahan Robin Washington eight classes we talked defensive storylines on Nebraska should get a few guys back this week DeAndre Thomas has returned to the practice field Tyron Ferguson is back at outside linebacker so Two of the guys on that front seven they've been without. I mean, that's been a big hit uh, to the depth of the game. Mick Stoltenberg, as we know, is going to be out for an extended period of time. We may not even see him return this season. But I think having Tyron Ferguson, um, assuming he's going to play and start on Saturday, that will make a difference because I just don't think having Alex Davis, especially against a spread team like Northwestern, um, in space is not going to th- – that's just not a good matchup for Nebraska. Oh, yeah, and Tyron's been dinged up for a while too. So even when, you know, before he was out, uh, he was still kind of dealing with an ankle injury. And so to get him back just in itself will, you know, help depth. And that's a big issue facing Nebraska right now is just having bodies, especially at linebacker. I mean, you're, you're, as much as they love guys like Jacob Winemaster and even Kyle Miller to an extent, I mean, those there's a lot of inexperience and there's a pretty good just veteran drop-off between those top guys and the next in line. So, uh, I've, you know, as many bodies as they can possibly get, the better. And, again, it goes back to having to play 12 straight weeks of football. You know, that was probably one of the worst things that could happen to a team like this because uh, the bye week, especially when it's later on in the season, is so valuable just to – just regroup, recharge, and you know, get get your your legs back under you. And they're not going to have that luxury. And so, the more players they can have at their disposal, the better, just so they can get through this grind. Well, one thing I was kind of thinking about is if it would make sense to to play a guy like Breon Dixon 
this weekend. Um, you know, he's you haven't really heard anything about him. It looks like looks like he's heading towards a redshirt, but against a spread team, um, you know, and his with his uh, background as a safety, uh, you know, I, I didn't. I'd be curious to know, you know, if that's even been brought up. There's, uh, there's got to be something to that. Yeah, I don't understand. It is strange the the drop off there because in the spring because they could have used him. I mean, especially if he has four games to burn. Exactly. That's what I'm. That's what I'm wondering. You know, what what the deal is exactly there because I feel like if you've got four games to burn with a guy like Breon. Uh, and his and his strength is is his ability to kind of cover as an outside linebacker. You know, this might make sense. Um, you know, considering the the team that you're facing here, the spread nature of of Northwestern's offense, uh, to get him out on the football field and, and make some plays since you're kind of thin there. How about in the secondary, guys? We saw Lamar Jackson get an opportunity. Now, I wouldn't say he played great or anything on Saturday, but they did go back to Lamar. I think there was some concern, maybe, or thought that Lamar's days were done, and I'll give Lamar a lot of credit. He went through a hell of a week. I think a lot of people thought he might be on the train heading to Corvallis, Oregon, too, with some of these other guys, and, and he stuck it out. I mean, he, he battled through a week where I'm sure there are people in his ear saying, hey, get out of here. You can get out on the four-game rule and leave Lincoln now uh, because these coaches don't have your back, and, and he, he battled through some adversity and I commend Scott Frost for for not quitting or not giving up on the guy and giving him another opportunity. Well, he is. We all have been saying for years now his potential, and if it ever clicks with him, how good he could be. Maybe this was the slap in the face of reality that he needed. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that really didn't have to compete much for jobs. I mean, he kind of fell into it uh, from day one. Uh, really didn't have anybody pushing him behind him, and that changed this year. Um, you know, even if Cam Taylor's not necessarily ready. Um, he was pushing him for snaps. Eric Lee, having a veteran guy like that, who um, you know was one of the more consistent practice players this year, uh, was able to at least provide another option for for the staff to send a message to Lamar. And again, I, I agree with you, Sean. You got to tip your hat to Lamar. There are a lot of kids that wouldn't have handled that, especially you know kids with that recruiting profile that uh, came in and played as a freshman right away. To lose your job as a junior mid-season, uh, you know. There's definitely a different way he could have gone with it. And he stuck it out, and I think he'll be a better player because of it if he's able to stay on, on this track here. Well, and really, it kind of goes all the way back to last spring, too. I feel like uh, the staff has not, not pulled any punches about kind of being being out, a little outspoken, I guess, about his what he needs to do and, and how he needs to continue to compete and, and progress. And, um, you know, and he's done all those things, and, and I think he is going to get better. And, and maybe that was kind of an eye-opening uh, moment for him and, and for him to stick it out, I think, um, you know, might be part of what we've been hearing this week about the team maybe coming closer together a little bit after the recent departures and, and really, um, you know, I guess maybe nearing that corner that they can possibly turn. And we've seen him do it a lot, you know, these these moves. You, you mentioned Lamar Jackson getting benched for Eric Lee. Caleb Lightborn got benched for Isaac Armstrong, a walk-on. Scholarship long snapper uh, Jordan Ober was benched in favor of Chase uh, Erbach. Um, and then Cade Warner was uh, a guy that moved into a starting role over guys like Tyjon Lindsey and Mike Williams and others. So they're kind of drawing a line in the sand. We don't care what your status is as far as recruiting rankings or scholarship. If the walk-on beats you out, we're going to play the walk-on over you. And um, I think that has sent a pretty strong message when you kind of break down those three or four um, things I just named off. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's kind of what this season is about. It's establishing 
the culture and, you know, getting rid of the quote unquote culture killers and building, you know, a roster full of guys that want to be here or on the same page with what you want to do. Um, you know, and I thought one of the interesting nuggets that came out of this week was, you know, uh, Nate talked to Sean Beckton and said that uh, when Frost addressed the team following the departure of Greg Bell and, you know, even Tyjon Lindsay earlier in the week, he said that no player even batted an eye really. And that's when the staff knew that the guys that were in the locker room, they were talking to, were uh, in where one unit. They were completely on board and on the same page and ready to go forward as you know one team following the staff. So it's taken five losses in a row to possibly get here, but it sounds like at least internally things are finally starting to go in the right direction. All right, when we, we come back, we're going to bring in Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler as he'll join us next. We'll take your questions here in the mailbag. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I'll say this about Greg Bell. This is my official statement. I wish Greg the best in his future. I wish those two kids well, but our team's going to keep getting stronger. I wish them well. That's probably all I should say, but I I feel good about where we're going. Sometimes those things are necessary. Uh, I told the guys at the beginning of the week, uh, you're either all in or or don't be here. And uh, we had a couple that um, chose to do something else. I'm going to help them, wish them well. But at the end of the day, sometimes those things need to happen uh, for your team to, to get better. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washington, Nate Klaus. We bring in Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler. As you heard, Ryan Held and Scott Frost kind of give their parting words to uh, Greg Bell and Tyjon Lindsay this week as uh, Tyjon Lindsay enrolled at Oregon State and, and was able to get in there right before the deadline to be eligible to play college football next year. Now, where Greg Bell goes, we still don't know. Uh, but he has missed the deadline to enroll into a quarter system school. That deadline was Friday. Uh, so Greg Bell really didn't do himself any favors leaving Nebraska as um, he's going to have to miss this year and next year now and, and use a red shirt next year. So uh, whoever gave Greg Bell advice, um, I don't know who you are, but it wasn't very good advice. But <laughs> Terrible decision. <laughs> Let's take our questions in the mailbag. What do you have, Mr. Wheels? All right, so uh, we'll start out with this game that's coming up this weekend. Uh, what's going to be a bigger impact on Nebraska winning this game? Is it going to be under 10 penalties or under three turnovers? Uh, I'd like to think you're going to see less than 10 penalties because, my God, they've had – I mean, it, to have that many penalties every game in a row, they're, they're due to have a better game on the penalty side. Well, I'll always say turnovers. I mean, the staff will tell you turnovers are the most important stat in football. But you're playing a Northwestern team, which is the least penalized team in all of college football, against a Nebraska team that is one of the most penalized. Second teams to last, right? Yeah. Now, so uh, you couldn't get a more drastic contrast there. But I will still say turnovers, and I will always say turnovers because those single-handedly can change the course of a game. And I'm going to go with turnovers too. I, I feel like that's that's still the one thing that can really, really swing a game. Now, obviously, anytime you're talking. 10, 10 plus turn or penalties that, that definitely adds up too and and really I, I'm not convinced Nebraska is gonna gonna be able to to cut that in half or or whatever I mean we just have not seen had any indication so far that they could do that so I'm going turnovers all right so uh, Nebraska uh, hosts Bethune Cookman on October 27th they're traveling to Northwestern this weekend and then have Minnesota at home uh, before then so does the first win come before that October 27th date? Yes, uh, I really think – I mean, gosh, guys, if they win against Northwestern, and I'm picking them to win this game. Uh, you'll have to wait until the official Saturday morning story, though, to get my <laughs> true score. Um, but I, I am picking Nebraska to win um, this game. And 
I mean, gosh, they should beat Minnesota at home. Minnesota's not that good. No. They're not that good. And if they lose that game, a lot of people are going to be pretty disappointed. Um, and then obviously Bethune-Cookman, you know, if they lose that game, which God forbid us, oh, I mean, let's just, <laughs> let's just take Don't a even go there. Let's just take a week off and turn the URL off of Husker Online <laughs> if that happens. <laughs> give our give ourselves all a little weak ban. Uh, no, I I think that Northwestern is certainly a you know go back to the old phrase a winnable game, and Nebraska should win. Um, if they don't. Minnesota is even more so. Um, you know, I, these are games that, especially like I said this earlier, going to Purdue, I already thought that they were winnable. Um, probably would have been more confident had they won that Purdue game. But still, uh, Nebraska matches up well. X's and O's, they're better than Northwestern. X's and O's and you know, personnel, they're better than Minnesota. So they should win both of those games. It's a matter, you know, if they can finally stay out of their own way and play up to their full potential, which we've been waiting five games now for them to actually do that. Yeah, I think they get a win before the Bethune-Cookman game, and it could come this weekend. It just depends on what teams show show up, Nebraska and Northwestern, because Northwestern has looked downright pitiful yeah. at times. They're, um, a, they're an EKG team in their yeah, own. You, I mean, they lost to Akron. They you, lost to Duke. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you – you know, you go out and, and uh, you almost beat Michigan. You should have probably beat Michigan. You, you beat Michigan State on the road. I mean, so what – They beat Purdue. They beat Purdue. So what what, Mich- or, uh, what Northwestern team are you going to get? What Nebraska team shows up? So uh, it could happen this weekend, definitely, though, before Bethune-Cookman. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. We're taking your questions in the mailbag with Husker Online intern Mike, Mr. Elkhorn Wheeler. All right. So uh, you guys kind of talked about in the last segment here, and the coaches discussed it here. Uh, but can you guys discuss the time frame that it takes for the offensive, uh, offensive and defensive lines to become Big Ten ready? You know, the thing about skill positions is, as we've seen this year, you can plug in guys overnight and, and have success. We've seen it with Adrian Martinez and Maurice Washington um, and what they've been able to do. And, you know, we saw it last year with J.D. Spielman as a redshirt freshman immediately breaking records at Nebraska. But offensive line, you cannot cheat your way to a good offensive line. It is years of hard work, development, um, mentally and physically, and and we're seeing that. I mean, Nebraska's got about six guys that can play right now, and I use the word play um, lightly. I mean, they're, they're, they're guys that at least have experience, but by no means do they have anybody on this roster. On the offensive or defensive line, our defensive front seven, for that matter, that is even in the neighborhood of all Big Ten discussion. Yeah, no, I mean, m- maybe Muhammad Barry is a lower team guy just because he's going to finish with a ton of tackles. But other than that, there's nobody, and I'm with you. I mean, I think you can go find a dude, a Juco guy, that can come in and be a good defensive lineman for you and add depth, you know, immediate impact freshman guys on defense. Offensive line is such a different story, like you said, and it be, it has to become part of your culture. Not only do you have to develop, you have to recruit at a high level, and you have to do it for three to four years in a row to establish a foundation where you're not requiring some Juco guy to come in and be your starting left tackle or uh, you know relying on a, a redshirt freshman to come in and be your starting guard. I mean, those things aren't the makeup of a good Big Ten offensive foot line, and so that's where Nebraska is right now, and Wisconsin has set the bar. And so it's going to take a long way before they're even the same conversation as Wisconsin. I feel like the the most elite lines typically are all seniors and juniors. And a lot of times those 
those lines or those players on those types of lines aren't seeing the field until their their junior or senior year. So uh, it comes with recruiting. Uh, you can kind of get there a little faster or at least have some, some patchwork with some JUCO recruiting, but you've got to get high school guys. You have to develop them and, and bring them up through the system. So it may be three years until we see a line that, that is drastically different than what we see right now. All right, so we'll stick on the uh, theme of the Big Ten. So outside of Nebraska in the next three years, what school do you guys see that is on the decline or on the decline and on the rise? I would say on the rise, uh, Purdue. Um, I, I just think within the, the division of the Big Ten West, as long as Jeff Brom stays there and he has a quarterback in the wings coming up, um, I do think Purdue is going to keep getting better with Jeff Brom. I mean, the guy can coach. As for a team on the decline, gosh, I, that's, that's a tough one. Um where do I go? Where do I? I would go? say Michigan State right now. I mean, they've got a lot of issues right now on that campus, and um, that will have an impact on recruiting in one way or another. And then who knows about what D'Antonio's long-term future is going to be? What about there. Wisconsin? Like, I mean, do you think? I don't think they're going anywhere. I think Wisconsin's going to be Wisconsin. Now, do they take that next step and become a college football playoff team? I don't know, but I think they're always going to be contenders in the West because. They have an identity. They're going to be like Iowa. You know, they're going to have that identity. They're a better version. They're not of going Iowa. to get too low. They're not going to get that high. But you know, they could be really good for a long time. But uh, yeah, Purdue is a hot team. But I would say I'd, I'd keep an eye on Michigan State. I mean, that that's a program that is in a lot of off the field flux, and that could directly impact uh, Mark D'Antonio's long term future there. Well, I hate to be that guy, but. I agree with you, Robin. Uh, <laughs> I, I think everything I think, he just said. Uh, yep, yeah, pretty, pretty much everything. To piggyback on that, yeah. So uh, Michigan State, yeah, on the decline, and and I do think that Wisconsin and Iowa, they've got the blueprint. They're gonna they're gonna be fairly consistent. They might fluctuate uh, and have a good year, followed by a little bit of a down year. But for the most part, what what you see is what you get with those teams. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think the decline. Uh, Michigan State on the rise, Purdue. Wait, time for one more quick one. You got something to light uh, light to end on here, Mike? Uh, yeah, I do. So uh, are we going to be getting a deep background sort of history lesson on uh, Potsy Clark and his remarkable turnaround from the 1945 season? After uh. they started 0-5, <laughs> I actually got the schedule up here. Uh, after they started 0-5, they actually finished the season 4-5. and There you go. Whoa. So there, there's precedent has been set that even as bad as things got in 1945, Potsy Clark got the troops together and Old rallied Potsy. back. For a remarkable comeback to a near 500 finish. That, History that, usually repeats I'm, itself. I'm just saying, you know, it, it's been done before. The ghost of Potsy Clark is present <laughs> in Lincoln, Nebraska. Is he dead? Let's talk Dana X Bible, Nate. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's not dead. I don't know. R.I.P. Potsy. I, I'm pretty sure he's passed away, guys. But I, I, I've, been, <laughs> I've never seen Potsy Clark uh, honored in the stadium. No. So. All right, well, that's a rough ending here for the mailbag <laughs> segment. Uh, when we come back, we'll close the show with recruiting. Nate Klaus was in Garden City, Kansas this weekend watching several Husker targets, and he'll be in Coffeyville, Kansas, as well as uh, the Oklahoma City-Norman area this weekend to watch more. So we'll get Nate's thoughts on all that next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Now, what I would tell you is this. And I mean this, there's probably not a better group of guys in the country to play for. They really are good people. 
Um, and so if, if they give them some time and, and let them do what they need to do, I would tell fans this, if you get down on that team, the recruits know that. And you're like, you, they need to be ultra supportive so that the recruits know that that support is unwavering and, and you can get some great players to come there. Uh, because right now, just, you know, when I watch them play Troy, I mean, Troy looked like they had more talent than them. And, and, and that's just not, you know, what Nebraska needs. You're not going to win Big Ten football without, you know, talent. You know, I ran recruiting in Indiana. We were able to build, you know, NFL offensive linemen and NFL tailbacks. And, you know, we had the number one offense in the Big Ten. Um, we went out and got those guys and we developed them in the weight room. And they got to give Nebraska the time to do that. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Final segment, that was Jeff Sims. Many Nebraska fans remember him from his days at Fort Scott as he delivered Players like Lante David, Brandon Kenny, Jamarcus Hardwick, almost Jason Pierre-Paul, who ended up going to South Florida. And now um, his running back, Dedrick Mills, is committed to Nebraska, and the Huskers are looking at several other guys. Well, you just heard uh, Jeff Sims talking about just what he thought of this coaching staff at Nebraska. And his relationships run pretty deep, not only with Ryan Held and Scott Frost, but particularly Javon DeWitt. They work together at Florida Atlantic, of all things, on Carl Pelini's coaching yeah. staff, Nate. And uh, you were in... Uh, Garden City this weekend, watching them play. Just your thoughts on on the guys Nebraska's looking at and and just some of the things that Jeff Sims had to say there. Well, first of all, Je Jeff Sims is pretty impressive. He has the track record uh, of being a great coach. Obviously, uh, he's had a lot of success everywhere he's been. He's already he's won a national championship at, at Garden City and has really kind of resurrected that program. Um, and now they're cranking out big time prospects. So, uh, and, and he's a, kind of a disciplinarian. He's he is the epitome of what we've heard Scott Frost kind of talk about in terms of the little things mattering. Um, when we were there, the guys came out and they're all black uniforms for the first time, brand new uniforms, and a couple guys were wearing yellow socks instead of black socks. And uh, Jeff Sims, he he kind of lost his mind over that. He he was very uh, animated, very upset that there was a couple guys that were were trying to stand out from the crowd and he made them all go back in and change he, he kind of uh, you know got after his assistant coaches for allowing that to happen in the first place and uh, but I tell you straight that, out of last chance you by the way that, just, that just reminds me it of really something was. you would see um, Netflix airing on the last chance you they need to do a last chance you with Jeff Sims it'd be it, interesting it one. would be interesting but but I tell you that's what that's what Juco guys need though uh, they they have to have the the, the discipline and the structure um, and because these guys some some of which are coming from all over the country and some of them have certain baggage or whatever, but um, you know he's got a track record of producing guys and, and getting being able to to give guys second chances. And and I think that's what Nebraska's getting with a guy like Dedrick Mills. You know he was uh, freshman All American at Georgia Tech, obviously extremely talented, but had some issues there and, and got kicked out of school. And uh, he has now gone to to Garden City and, and really turned it around. And and he's on track to become a, a JUCO All American as a running back. He's leading the nation in rushing with 900. 39 yards, 11 touchdowns, and he is extremely physical. I really enjoyed watching him play. Um, he's got a he's got a style where he he loves running over people. He loves kind of dishing out uh, the punishment instead of taking it. Uh, and in fact, he told me that before every game, he listens to that Marshawn Lynch interview where he said uh, he said his mindset is to to run over a, a mother, you know what's face over and over and over and over again. He uh, Diedrich told me he said he goes I put that on repeat and listen to that for about ten minutes straight before I go out and play. 
play a game because that's my mentality. I want to run over guys. I want to demoralize them. And so and he does that. So he's going to bring a different style of running uh, to this Nebraska offense and to that running back room that just lost Greg Bell. So uh, they're going to really count on Diedrich to give him a little something different uh, along with a guy like Maurice Washington next year. All right, I'm going to play the glass half empty Husker fan here. Nate, dead, or, um, last year Greg Bell was the number one ranked Jugo running back in the country. He was a two-time All-American, and we saw how that's worked out. Sell Husker fans on why Dedrick Mills will work out at Nebraska, unlike Greg Bell. Well, I, I think he he's matured. You can from talking with him, you can really tell. And, and he flat out told us. Um, he said, "I I was I was a, a kid coming to going to Georgia Tech in, in the big city uh, in Atlanta, and and he said he just he kind of enjoyed lost, that nightlife. Yeah, a little he lost sight of his priorities, and and he said coming here has really humbled me, uh, and it's really kind of got me straightened out and realized what I want to accomplish in life." Uh, I've got to be focused all the time. And so uh, he said he's going to Nebraska and he's going to, to uh, show up in Lincoln and be the hardest working guy to, to earn respect from the current uh, players on the team and to be a guy that they can count on to, uh, to really take them to where they want to go. Um, and, and he's con- extremely convincing when, when he was uh, telling us that. So uh, I do believe that, that he has his priorities straight and he's really, really matured. Uh, and, and I don't know, I never really got that sense from Greg Bell. Uh, I'll say this: I felt I feel like Dedrick Mills is more mature at this point than uh, than maybe Greg Bell was when I spoke to him uh, during the recruiting process. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we discuss uh, things that Nate saw this past weekend in Garden City, watching several Husker targets. And Nate, a lot of offensive linemen on that field, Nebraska on both sides. You were watching Iowa Central as well. Uh, a couple offered three offers out there on the O line, right in the in the game. Yeah, three offers out uh, to offensive linemen in that game, and two in particular are, are uh, priority targets for Nebraska. I think you've you got to start with Bamadeli Olaseni. Uh, just call him Bam. He, he's he's from uh, London, England. Uh, he's got the accent. He's a former rugby player that just really started playing football here over the last three or four years. Um, you know, and, and I think that you know, at six eight, three hundred and thirty two pounds. He is a, maybe the biggest offensive lineman prospect that I've ever been able to, to watch in person. Uh, and he's an impressive guy. Uh, and, and he's so big and powerful that he kind of – he's dominant. And and I don't know that there are too many people that can really test him. So um, – and he's yet to reach his potential. He was bigger even than you thought he'd be in person, was yes. he? Yeah. A lot of times, you know, you, you see a guy listed – Six, on, eight guy. Yeah, and he turns out to be, you know, six, six or even six, five and a half and it's like okay, but he was he was all of six eight, and he was all of three hundred and thirty. Does he have a thick English accent? Yes. Um, you know, I mean, he's and he's a character too, um, and and he is he's one of those guys that is really um, eager to to continue to to get better. He, I mean, he flat out said that you know I'm I'm nowhere near as good as as I want to be or that I can be, uh, and I believe that. And and for me, with a guy that has the the all the tools that he has, it's going to take him being tested and playing against better competition for him to really take that next step forward in in coaching and whatnot. Does that, he communicate with a lot of coaches though that you know of no see and that's the thing and that's why I think Nebraska may have a sneaky chance to to get him because he does not like the recruiting process he, he doesn't totally understand it he's kind of freaked out by it um, and so he lets his coaches handle his recruitment so when a college coach uh, does actually get in contact with him he says uh, call coach Sims 
And, and so he has Coach Sims and that staff handle all of his recruitment. And, and Coach Sims will send him to Nebraska. Well, and as we just <laughs> talked, he's got a lot of ties to Nebraska. So, yeah, the if you're wanting to read the tea leaves here, it looks like you know Nebraska could be benefiting from their relationship with Coach Sims with a guy like uh, like Bam Olaseni. So uh, now on the other side, uh, the, the main target that we were watching at Iowa Central was Myron Cunningham, who just landed an offer. And he might have been the, the best overall offensive lineman there so he's better than bam he's fun more fundamentally sound and he's an early guy and he's an early bam's a late guy and bam was supposed to graduate in december now he's graduating in may which is a big strike against him come on coach sims get these guys out in december man uh because nebraska desperately needs a juco offensive lineman or two uh to add to this class and they have to have those guys so they could take three though really it's possible yeah uh they and they want those guys to be early enrollees obviously so they can get in the weight room with zach duvall go through spring football uh but myron cunningham is a guy to watch i mean he's he's definitely has the 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 skill set and the tools to come in and play immediately because he is that well polished and briefly nate you'll be in oklahoma and kansas this weekend so we're going to send you down south again um and uh, you'll be in just outside Norman for a game to watch Jamie Nance, and then in Coffeeville to take uh, who? Who do they play? Uh, they play Hutchinson, which they're the number four team in the country. Garden City last week was the number two team in the country, um, and and so we're heading to Coffeeville to see Marquise Bell, who's a newly offered safety, six three, two hundred fifteen pound kid that that was a former four star recruit, uh, originally signed with with my, uh, Maryland out of high school. Uh, and it looks like Nebraska's got a great, great shot at landing Marquise Bell. Uh, so I'm really excited to watch him and Jamie Nance on, on Friday night. So the Husker Online team will be out in full force all weekend. Nate and video, video producer Greg Peterson will be in Oklahoma and Kansas, and both Robin and I will be in Chicago as well as interns Alec Rome and Mike Wheeler. So make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com. We're going to have you covered all weekend on the road with everything going on in the world of Huskers. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.